Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On October 20th, seven storytellers shared their stories with our audience. Our theme for the evening was Goosebumps. We heard stories about haunted houses, ghosts, and a psychotic cat who looked like Norman Bates. The evening resulted in a tie between Michael Siriani and Rita Whitney, both of whom earned spots in our Grand Slam in November. Michael shared his story about a former bandmate with whom he lost touch. Here's Michael. Well, if I have a story that's going to give you goosebumps, I think this is probably the one. Uh, it's a story about a man I knew named Eric Christensen. We, uh, we were in a rock band together, and we met in 1994. Eric was a very, very talented guitar player, incredibly funny, incredibly charismatic, but above everything else, he was smart. And I don't mean just smart, like really intelligent. I mean like savant level smart. Like sometimes I am watching movies or television shows that have to do with con men. And I think of Eric because when you needed to look left, he had you looking right every time. He could pull one over on anybody and often tried to. In fact, his kind of claim to fame ended up becoming seeing what he could push it to, what he could uh, really get you to believe he had done, only to find out he hadn't. Well, a few years after joining the band, uh, Eric decided to leave and go back to school for computer science. And a few years after that, I uh, decided to leave the band as well. The band broke up. And I started my career in the restaurant industry. Been years since I had seen Eric, but lo and behold, one day I was managing a cafe in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and in he walked. Uh, I said to him, you uh, have to be kidding me. What are you doing here? And he said, believe it or not, I run IT for a company right down the street. And so we spent a few minutes catching up. It was wonderful to see him. He was there with his girlfriend and her young son. And we exchanged phone numbers. We absolutely intended to get, um, to get lunch. But uh, at the time, my kids were really young. Uh, he was obviously doing his thing. And lunch never happened. Um, about six months later, I got a phone call wanting to know if I had seen or heard from Eric Christensen. And I got goosebumps. You see, it was the FBI. And it turned out that Eric was a fugitive. He was wanted federally. Um, the story is that apparently somebody at his job had seen Eric putting some computer equipment in his trunk. Now, part of his job, uh, was to dispose of old hard drives and computers, things with proprietary information on them. Somebody just suspected he wasn't doing that and they called the authorities. When they went to his apartment with a warrant, he wasn't home, um, but they went in, they had the right to go in and they found thousands of dollars worth of computer equipment. But that's not why Eric was wanted. The computers, they were full of photographs. They were full of the kind of photographs you don't want to hear somebody you've been close to 
collects. They were disturbing and they would give you a lot of concern about his girlfriend and her young son. And so Eric disappeared. I think at that point, I decided that I didn't want him taking out any more space in my brain. So I pushed him way, way back there. And it was a long time before I thought of him again. In fact, it was just probably last year, the year before that I decided I was gonna figure out what happened to him. So I Googled his name. Turns out that a few years ago in Portland, Oregon, there was a man uh, found under a bridge who had died from exposure to the elements. He literally froze to death. And in Portland, there's uh, quite a tight homeless network. So the authorities asked a lot of the folks, uh, do you know this man? And several of them said, yeah, that's Chris. Um, he's super generous. He will share anything he has and he will totally go out of his way to build you a fire or lend you a jacket. They took his body to the morgue and they put a name on his file and the name was Christian Erickson. And then they checked his dental records. Next up is our second winner, Rita Whitney. Rita told a story about a night she spent completely terrified in San Diego. I have been to San Diego exactly one time in my life. And that trip to San Diego ended with my um, new husband and I sitting in a Denny's eating really shitty pancakes and looking at each other and going, we need to get the fuck out of San Diego. Uh, the night before we had gotten into town, we were traveling across country and in our style of pre-kids and just winging it on trips, we decided to just kind of pick places to stay as we went because we didn't want to be tied to any location on a specific date in our trip. So we found this um, seaside motel in San Diego and we happened to get there. Uh, I remember specifically it was the night that um, the Giants won the World Series. And so everyone was out. I guess it was the Giants. I don't follow baseball, but everyone was very excited. And so we were out enjoying the evening, having a really good time, um, met some great people just kind of like wandering around uh, San Diego. And then we went back to this um, motel that we had found. And, you know, I, I've had some other types of haunted feeling stories. I, I'm certainly one that believes in kind of spirits and, and something that's unexplainable. Um, but there've only been a, one other time in my life where I felt the weight of this kind of presence that I couldn't explain to this extent. And that was when I was a little, a kid, I was maybe 10 years old. And I remember um, trying to go to bed and laying and just getting these like invasive visions of death, thoughts of death, feelings of death, just absolutely scared out of my mind um, to the point where I couldn't make it stop. And I've experienced panic attacks. It wasn't that or anxiety. It was this other kind of like invasive feeling and, and thought that I had no idea how to get out from under, scared the living crap out of me. And I remember that that night when I was 10 years old, 
going to my sister and, and saying, this is what I'm experiencing. I don't know how to explain it. And she remembers that night to this day because of my going to her and saying, I'm freaking terrified. Can I sleep with you? And then sleeping with her that night because um, I couldn't get those thoughts of death out of my head. And when we were in San Diego spending the night, um, a very similar thing happened. So I was trying to go to bed, laid down. It was close to Halloween. It was about this time, um, six years ago. And every time I would close my eyes, I would have this vision of this white face, black eyes, black mouth. My heart is literally pounding just thinking about it. And it was it invaded. It was there as the second I would close my eyes and the second I would open them, it would kind of disappear, but the feeling did not. And I would close my eyes again and it would just be right there as if it had whoosh like in front of my face. And I had the worst time sleeping. I had to hold my husband's hand all night. Um, I think we switched spots in the room trying to find a space that I was able to be comfortable and actually go to sleep. And it was just a miserable night. We didn't sleep well. Uh, Their presence in the room was so strong that um, I hadn't felt anything like that since I was a little kid. And it shot me right back into that little kid, there's nothing I can do, fear. Um, so we somehow make it through the night, you know, we pack up very hastily the next morning and we're like, I'm clearly visibly upset. You know, he is understanding of that and trying to get us moving along. We check out of the motel. We're like, okay, well, we're going to go to our next location, but let's get breakfast first. So we, um, find a Denny's for some reason was the closest place that we could go get breakfast. Um, he orders uh, eggs over easy and I order pancakes and we're sitting there and we're eating our breakfast and I'm explaining exactly what it was that I experienced the night before when we were trying to go to bed. And he looks at me and I will never forget. He says, I didn't want to tell you this last night because I didn't want to scare you any more than you already were. But I saw exactly what you described popping up from the opposite side of the room on the other bed that we weren't sleeping in. (laughs) And I looked at him and he looked at me and we're like, we're going to get the fuck out of San Diego. And we did. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Chris Smith. Chris recounted strange goings on from the house where he lived while he was in college in 1969. Good evening. Uh, My story starts back in December 1st, 1969, and that's when uh, the government decided to have a military uh, draft uh, for the Vietnam War. And everybody that was born from 1944 to 1950 was eligible for the draft. And they pulled um, calendar dates from a gigantic been uh, to find out who was going to be number one and number two. Uh, For instance, uh, September 14th was the first one pulled, and uh, that was number one. Anybody with that date would be the first one to be drafted if they didn't have a deferment. So I told you that story. Also in 1969, I was a college student at Clarion State College in Northwestern Pennsylvania, and um, I didn't live in a dorm, but I lived in a 
uh, third floor of a funeral home uh, in Clarion, Burns' funeral home, with seven other guys. And we swore up and down there was a ghost there. We saw, we saw spirits, things moved mysteriously. There were funny noises that happened. So we knew that there was a ghost there. And uh, so it was December and uh, we were getting ready to go home for the holidays and get ready for finals also. But uh, we decided to have a Christmas party. And uh, when we came in one day, the day before the Christmas party, uh, there was a package and a card on our kitchen table. And it, we opened up the card and the card said, hope you find out who the ghost is. And we opened up the package and it was a Ouija board. So we were all set. Next night we had a party, there were about 20 people there. And I sat down to work the Ouija board with this young lady named Ellen. And we started asking her questions. We said, is there a ghost here? And it went goodbye. And, uh, we said, uh, uh, is there a ghost there? And it went goodbye. We said, are you going to talk to us? And it went goodbye. So it wouldn't talk uh, to me, uh, apparently. I got up and somebody else sat down, a guy by the name of Roland Sparrow, who was the center of the football team at Clarion. And so he put his hands on the silence along with Ellen and they went, is there a ghost here? And it went, yes. And they said, well, what's the name of the ghost? And it spelled out B-O-B. And they went, well, Bob who? And it spelled out these letters, S-R-E-G-I-T. And so, and there was about 20 people there and we were all looking at it and we were trying to figure out what the words were and come to find out it was tigers spelled backwards. So now we're trying to figure out, and Bob, forwards or backwards is Bob. And now we were trying to figure out the association between Bob and Tigers. And come to find out, Roland said he was the center of the football team uh, in high school at McKeesport. And they were known as the McKeesport Tigers. And his quarterback's name was Bob. And at, at the end of the season, Bob had died in a car accident. So now we figured that it was Bob that was in the Ouija board somewhere. And they, uh, so they asked, they said, is, uh, Bob, are you after somebody up here? And it went, yes. And they said, who is it after? And it spelled out my name, C-H-R-I-S. And they, and they asked, they said, well, what does that mean? And it came out with the numbers seven, three. And they went, well, what does that mean? And it came out with the other numbers, two, nine, seven, oh. And they asked, well, what do these numbers mean? And it went goodbye. And they asked again, what do these numbers mean? And went goodbye. And they said, Bob, are you still there? And it went goodbye. And everybody was, they got on onto the board. Other people tried it and it all went goodbye. So the ghost was gone by that time. And so later on, um, you know, uh, we all went home for Christmas, came back, got ready for uh, finals. And I was on uh, uh, academic probation at the time and I flunked out of school. And I knew I was gonna wind up getting drafted into the army, so I decided I would just go ahead and sign up. And uh, here's the wacky part of the story, is that my lottery number was 7-3, and I was inducted into the army February 9th, 1970, 2970. And uh, uh, that kind of 
shakes me up. There's other stories that occurred up there at the, uh, the uh, funeral home. Uh, for instance, the uh, September 14th, for instance, was the birth date of Clayton Moore, who played the Lone Ranger, who was my hero. The gift wrap that was wrapped that had the Ouija board in it had bears on it. And my nickname was Bear. So there, it was an omen all the way through. And I had just thought about that as I was thinking about this story to begin with. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> my, <laughs> my close call with, with a spirit. Thank you. <laughs> this was the last Open Mic Story Slam of our season. All the winners from this year's Story Slam events will return to compete in our Grand Slam in November for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Big thanks to our 2020 sponsor, KBG Injury Law, whose generous support is making this season possible. We hope to see you virtually or on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.